to Shower for the Soul. I'm your host, Shane Fame Alexander. This is where we swap stories on life struggles, triumphs, and victories. Grab a drink, find a cozy spot in the studio, and let's start sharing. Welcome to the premiere episode of Shower for the Soul. I'm your host, Shane Fame Alexander. On this episode, I wanted to touch base and do an introduction about why I'm doing this crazy thing called a podcast. We will also chat with Karen, who produced a very interesting documentary about anxiety and young people. It's called Angst, and that interview will be coming up in a few. First, let's chat about Shower for the Soul. Quick backstory, I've always wanted to do my own radio show. Dating back to the last century when I used to play radio and even volunteer at a couple of radio stations in Toronto. As I grew up, I fell in love with writing. Therefore, writing a book was the next big to-do thing. I thought I had enough life experience at that time that people would want to read about it. I tried. I banked a few chapters here and there, but nothing really came into fruition. I still want to write a book someday. Fast forward a few weeks ago when I had an aha moment about creating a podcast based on the book I've always wanted to write. And the podcast will deal with current day issues that everyone deals with. See, here I am putting it out to the world. Okay, well, maybe a few people in the world, but you know what I mean. To hear this, this is me. This season, I plan on chatting about tattoos and body image and how sports and music help with our mental being. I really want to create a community here on Shower for the Soul, so I'm always up for conversation off-air. Shoot me an email if you ever have an idea for the show or just want to shoot the breeze. I'll share my email address after the show. To kick things off on Shower for the Soul, let's talk about this amazing film, called angst. My hands start to shake. I feel like I can't breathe. I kind of start to breathe really rapidly and I can't slow my breathing. So then my body starts to think that I that there's no oxygen and that I'm dying. My vision gets pretty blurry and I can't think. I don't know what the brain does to cause that, but it's, it's nasty. I was flipping through my Instagram and I'm based in Toronto and I went to a very special school that helped me a lot throughout life. It's called the Toronto Walder School. And I saw on their, on their Instagram, the poster for angst sparked my interest. Um, it's a movie about anxiety, especially with kids in school. And uh, it's touring around North America. They're still doing dates, especially this week, actually, too. And uh, most recently, our guest, Karen, uh, produced Like a Documentary about the impact of social media on our lives. Welcome, Karen Gornick. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talking to you today. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Good. Good. So listening to these kids' stories, I watched the, uh, the documentary last week, and it's, you know, it. I already had, you know, my memories of Waldorf already built in because I went to the Waldorf school and 
this inspired me and they're doing the screening this weekend. So the Waldorf experience was already still there when I was watching it. And I went back in the nineties, back in the last century, how things have changed from then till now where back then it was, Oh mom, we have a belly ache and we didn't really know how to diagnose it until now. Mm-hmm. Um, how has this documentary really changed the viewpoint of parents where they think Junior is faking an illness to, okay, maybe something actually is happening with him? Well, it's a great, great question because I, I often get, um, I often get questions whenever the film is shown, you know, the, the way that it's seen is in community. And we, we do that on purpose where it's actually seen in a, at a school or at a church or in a setting, <clears throat> excuse me, where afterwards there's a panel with a therapist and there's a discussion and connection to resources. And we often get questions. And one of the most common ones we get is, you know, is anxiety really on the rise? Why mm-hmm. have we not talked about this so much before? And, um, and why does it seem like it's so much more prevalent now? And, um, you know, having talked to many different experts and many different therapists about this topic and been to, you know, hundreds of these screenings now, uh, it's been very interesting to learn um, how much it would have been beneficial, you know, decades, centuries ago, where uh, we did start talking about this and normalizing talking about our mental health and how important it is just as much as our physical health, because the two are tied and we're learning how much how our our physical health and our mental health, um, you know, affect each other. And things like stomach aches, as you as you brought up, is a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Our, um, you know, the acid in our stomachs is built up when cortisol is released um, from you know, over amounts of anxiety. And, you know, I think what, you know, what's probably what a lot of people have shared at these screenings, a lot of adults who go, you know, typically we made this for um, middle and high school, but what we've learned over the last year, and as this has been shown now around the world, we've got it translated in about eight different languages, that the parents are resonating so much, seeing the teens in themselves, that they have, a lot of them have developed second um, secondary issues, whether it be alcoholism or drug habits or unhealthy ways of dealing with their anxiety because it wasn't addressed when they were younger. So they were having it. It was just we didn't know as much what the signs and symptoms were and how to recognize it and, and how important it is to talk about it. And do you like you were talking about alcoholism and, and things now? Do you find that teenagers are starting doing the same thing? Back in the 90s, when I'm looking back at it, maybe that's why I started smoking. Maybe that's why I started smoking weed. That's Maybe that's why, you know. Um, but back then, it was known as rebelling mm-hmm. and, you know, experimenting or acting out. Um, is there anything that kids are doing more now? Is there anything, like, on a rise more than usual because of the anxiety that they just don't know how to deal with it? Well, you no, know, it's, it's such an interesting um, point. And this is why I love, you know, if you get to see the film in community, I really hope you do. I don't know if you can go to the Waldorf school when it's being shown, because these conversations and then learning from therapists themselves, um, it's really insightful. So what I'll share some of the things that I've learned um, since I'm not like an addiction specialist and the producer, but I've spoken to lots of them. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling is that, uh, you know, any 
whether it's a recreational drug or our cell phones, um, using things, uh, there, there's one way to use them, which is more just, you know, for the moment of enjoyment. And then there's as a crutch or a coping mechanism. And when something becomes a coping mechanism um, or an addiction and it's starting to affect our daily lives, that's when we really need to look at that, right? And, and see, yeah. wow, the underlying problem. And so especially now in the age of digital um, digital addiction and the film that I worked on before angst was actually screenagers, which was about trying to understand how digital media, you know, you know, addiction happens in our lives and how we can moderate that. Um, and, it, and we've, and my son is a really good example of this. And he's one of the inspirations behind the film, okay. um, his experience, because he's really struggled with, um, social anxiety. I was learning how much he was hiding behind his phone, how much yes. the phone was used as a, um, a way to avoid having to talk to people, you know, um, if you're really uncomfortable, it's a really easy way to, to avoid. And for somebody else, it might be weed, smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why, you know, Sheila Andreen and I, the producers of the film, we really wanted this to be seen directly in communities so that kids can see, parents can see, open up conversations at home and at school and now at work. I mean, it's being shown HP and Microsoft and, you know, to employees um, because we're trying to help families open up those conversations and get connected to the resources that they have so that if they start noticing, mm, you know what, my anxiety is tipping over into the unhealthy they know who they can turn to to get help. And how I was going to bring this into the workplace now, because uh, one of the parts of the um, the documentary, they were talking, I believe it was uh, one of the guys, he was talking about um, having to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And at my last, I'll tell you a story, at my last place of employment, I'm a very, I'm a very perfect, like I'm a perfectionist, I guess I could say. Mm -hmm. um, and especially it comes to my work, like I care more than most employees about my job because it's it's never been the money for the money for me. That's why I'm doing my podcast. But it's never been about money for me. It's never been the dri driving. If I do a job, if I'm working at a place, it's because I actually like that job. Mm -hmm. And I might care a bit more. And actually my last boss told me that 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 was my weakness and my strength where I care too much yes and it became more of uh where anxiety was kind of built in because I would wake up and start my shift and I would see the person before me didn't do this and this and this and I had to take care of their mess or you know emails weren't sent properly or think something like that. And I would get frustrated. I would take it to my manager and it started a whole shabam of things. Uh, when is anxiety mixed with OCD? Is there a fine line there? Mm, I'm so glad you're asking this. This is, this is really, um, there are so many different forms. There are several forms of anxiety and OCD is definitely one of them. It is one way you know, if you think about it, OCD is really finding a way to gain control of our anxiety. Absolutely. And there's some incredible anxiety um, OCD specialists out there. And Jenny mm -hmm. Howe, who's the narrator of the film, is one of them. Um, she deals with a lot um, with kids and, and 
you know, who, who struggle with OCD as a form of their anxiety. It is definitely one way that um, people find that they can control things. And the really great news is it's super treatable. Anxiety mm-hmm. disorders are, are treatable. And OCD is an anxiety, is one of the six anxiety disorders. Um, so uh, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I'll tell you this, if you ever want me to share with you who some of these experts are, I'm more than happy to email you and send you some info. Oh, yeah, for sure whoever's interested and maybe they can follow up and get the info yeah, as well. I'll put it on my site. And you can also go to, um, you can also go to angstmovie.com slash resources and mm-hmm. on there it lists all the different anxiety disorders. Okay. And it lists resources and books and videos and OCD is one of them. There's a really great workbook that you could do at home that could help you. Oh, with your awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but I'm glad you asked that because it really is something that's very prevalent um, OCD and feeling, you know, perfectionism is definitely a way that people are using to control their anxiety. Now, um, the good news is there's relief for that. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people ask me, how do you know the difference between what's normal anxiety and when is it tipping over into a disorder like OCD? And mm-hmm. a therapist that, um, was on one of the panels, I loved her answer and I use it and share it all the time. Watch for three things. If you feel your symptoms, and those might be stomach aches. It might be trying to be perfect and kind of, you know, going back and trying to review things over and over again. Whatever those signs and symptoms are of your anxiety, if they're increasing in three ways, and that is um, frequency, duration, and intensity. Frequency, duration, and intensity. If they're increasing in those ways um, and affecting your daily life, then it's time to get it checked out. And again, Naming it to tame it is so important because a lot, you know, I've heard some schools say, well, we're afraid to talk to our kids about this because if you share with them, they'll use it as an excuse. Not at all. As you see in the film, do not avoid, you know, learning about our anxiety and our our coping mechanisms will help us actually tame them because it's so treatable. We do not have to suffer. And what should managers do along with uh, teachers? Um, I know with my my manager, they they helped me a lot, but it was also I I realized that they were kind of tiptoeing. I worked virtually, so I wasn't in the office, mm. but uh, they were kind of like tiptoeing. You know, they're like, "Are you okay? Yeah, you know, <laughs> is Shane all right today or not? Um, how should they when they notice something? You know, is it something where it's like proceed with caution or is it um you know let's see if we can do something together to help this oh i'm so glad you're asking that question too i feel like you're just getting to the point of all the things <laughs> just and this is exactly it right now like opening up the conversation right yeah this is the most important thing to do and that's what when you know we show the film to um corporations like microsoft um it you know we will have a couple live screenings of the film and then it's streamed to employees to watch with their families to start conversations and between bosses and their teammates and what I would really recommend what I hear from therapists over and over is if you're concerned about somebody um, and you're not sure what to do if you're concerned that their anxiety is getting in the way of their day-to-day work or their morale or their life um, I mean the first thing to do is talk about it not be embarrassed Mm -hmm. to talk about it because we've heard from people over and over who are suffering that if somebody actually approached them and said, you know, are you doing okay? Or I've just noticed this is, this may, you know, that you're struggling with this, you know, that they so appreciate that somebody cares enough to ask. 
You would yeah. think they would be mortified or embarrassed. And guess what? There may be some embarrassment, but they care more in surveys that we've seen. People care more that they're asked because it shows that people care. That they're, they're not just invisible. We call those a lot of times these people that are really suffering, silent sufferers. My son was one of them. Teachers loved him. He got straight A's. He was a perfectionist, but guess what? He was plotting how he wanted to die, and he attempted it on October 15th of 2015. So, you know, if he had been, fortunately he made it, and he's thriving in his life right now, but um, if he had had, he's like, mom, the teachers don't even notice me. They don't even, you know, I don't make any waves, so they don't really care. He didn't felt they didn't care, whereas if somebody had approached him and, and noticed they, I think it really would have mattered. And we hear this over and over again. The other thing that I think that team leaders or that anyone can do that was helpful, parents, you know, employers, is to model their own vulnerability. If we're able to, you know, we always have on a panel at, at a corporation, we have usually somebody from the C-level sitting there on the panel modeling their own vulnerability about their mental health. Because if we can say, guess what? you know what, I get stressed out too, and this is how I handle it. Or, you know, modeling for our kids. Gosh, today I had this argument with a coworker, but this is how I worked it out. If we can yeah. model that it's okay not to be okay, then we're not yeah. going to be running around feeling like we got to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, so model, you know, the first thing would be talking about it mm-hmm. when you care. Second is, you know, modeling and showing our vulnerability. And the third, and these are in no particular order, the third is, really making your employees know that they're where there are resources if they need help. Is there a wellness director? You know, does the company have benefits that have counseling? You know? Yeah. Uh, I know my, my, the, my old workplace, they gave me uh, a couple of sick days. I mean, mental health days. Right. And uh, they were just starting to do that. Uh, It was, and, uh, you know, it helped a lot. It's just that I don't feel like it It should have been to that point where it was like a second thought where it was like, oh, no, what? let's just create a mental health days for this guy. Yeah. You know, it should have been. And then we incorporated more things <laughs> like we can walk around, take a break for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, other ways of trying to de-stress throughout a shift. Now, with uh, you were talking about uh, how, how kids were getting it, and now there's one girl that really hit me, and she was the one who was panicking at 13 on what she'll be doing in life. Yes, Sarah. Sarah, yes. She was with her dad, right? And yeah. Yes, yes. Now, I'm sure, you know, now we think about it as um, we teenagers or someone in grade 11 or grade 12 will be start thinking about university we never think kids like eight or nine years old or 13 years old are already thinking about yes. what's next and how that's you know back you know frankly i always thought of it as why do kids at eight or nine really have any way of being having anxiety you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well so I have a couple of thoughts around that. Did I let you finish your, your thought or your question? Oh, yeah. it's all yours. Okay. First, I want to, I'll definitely come back to Sarah, but I want to mention one thing that you go back to what something you said about taking a break. Yeah. I think it's so, you know, 
so helpful to take a break. And there's a scientific reason for that. Um, mm -hmm. We see in the film, you know, take a break and then jump back in. Don't avoid. Take a five minute break. Do something. But what that's doing is distraction. Distraction can be your best friend. If you can, you know, if you're starting to feel those overwhelming symptoms, like, for instance, if you keep going back and wanting to fix everybody's emails, if you go outside for five minutes, it helps you get out of your amygdala, which is the fight or flight. And, you know, oftentimes when we're in that place of um, feeling completely anxious, we're in the amygdala and rational thought can't happen. But if we distract ourselves, whether it be take a walk or go to the break room and grab some ice cubes or drink some water, um, you know, I've even heard people say, put your put your tongue on the top of roof of your mouth and take deep breaths. It gets you out of your amygdala and into your prefrontal cortex. And that's where rational thinking can happen. So taking those breaks is actually scientifically very helpful. So I just want to make sure I um, got that across because it's a good tip. Mm -hmm. So as far as Sarah and, and, you know, a lot of these teens, these teens that, that I talked to in the film, I consider them heroes. A lot of them have oh, not, there, yeah. you know, they hadn't talked about many of them had not talked about their anxiety ever before publicly and here they were doing it on film and I told every child or every teen that we were talking to that they'd have the opportunity after they had their interview to retract it or to not have it in the film um, because I wanted them to feel safe and they, every single one of them decided that they did afterwards they found a therapeutic experience um, and so these kids were incredibly vulnerable and Sarah being one of them talking about it and so a couple things are at play um, what I've learned is that 20% of the population is highly sensitive. If you were to put lineup in a NICU after babies were born in a hospital, 10 babies, and they were all sleeping happily, and you clapped your hands and they all wake up, eight of them will go back to sleep and two of them will take a really long time to go back to sleep. And that's because 20% of the population is just genetically wired to be highly sensitive and more easily triggered. Wow. And and Sarah is one of those. Um, and now that just there's so many different reasons that that, you know, anxiety symptoms can tip over into the abnormal. It could be everything from, um, you know, an underlying medical cause. We also Sarah also learned that she had Lyme disease and that was really mm -hmm. contributing. Um, but she's also highly sensitive. And so, you know, she helped got treatment for her Lyme disease and she also has learned a lot of coping mechanisms and she's, she's thriving. And I, and, and I really think a big part of it too was the conversation being opened up at home with her, with her family and her dad learning that this was a real disorder and that he could help support her in a better way. So, so a lot of times it's that relationship between the parent child, you know, or the, that helps hugely. That's why family therapy I think is super helpful with anxiety mm -hmm. disorders. And there's another interesting part, um, still we're on the whole thing about the parents. It's said that when p parents are helping them escape, so Junior is calling mom to pick me up from, from school because he's sick. Mm -hmm. They're kind of aiding and abetting it. Yes, and this is why I'm actually in the film. I, I don't know if you noticed that I'm one of the parents in the film. And I did that on purpose. I wanted to find a parent who could model their own, how much their own parenting is contributing to their child's anxiety. And I had trouble finding a parent be open about, about it. So I figured I might as well throw myself under the bus. Um, so, you know, here's a good example. It's not that we're bad. My gosh, as parents, we're doing everything possible to try to keep our kids safe. 
right? And as they become teens and they start venturing out, you know, that line is kind of blurred. You know, where are we helping and where are we in enabling? How do we help them find their capability? Um, you know, how do we support them? And, you know, as a parent, uh, I'm a single parent, and I, you know, due to my own historical background, familial background, I really have my own perfectionism. And I think I was overbearing in that sense. And I felt that I had to make everything okay for my son. I thought that was how I was keeping him safe. But in reality, he needed to be able to feel the pain and the difficulty of his discomfort. And yeah. so when we finally got help, when he finally, you know, after he tried to take his life and we got help, um, we went to a therapeutic boarding school out in Utah and learned about our relationship. We were super, super close, but I needed to learn how to let go and allow him to feel the pain. And there was this one quote in there that I've, I think it was one of the guys, when the, the boys uh, with the glasses, I believe, he said, it feels like everything in that moment is going to hurt us and we're going to, and we're just there to survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, when you're in that moment of, when your amyg amygdala is triggered, you're very much in fight or flight and rational thinking can't happen. I mean, that's where you can really tell it becomes an, uh, an anxiety disorder because you're you're just paralyzed and you literally are. You're like the rabbit in the bushes hiding from the snake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, our central nervous system is just overtaxed. And that's why distraction is our best defense. Our best way to get out of it is to to not try to talk our way out of it. In that moment, it's really to grab an ice cube, go for a walk, distract, and get ourselves in that prefrontal cortex. Okay. And what was core fear and exposure therapy? Does that have anything to do with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it was really interesting. You know, I had not heard about core fear before until my son went away to therapy, but I included it in the film because I thought it was really important for people to think about that you know, a lot of our anxiety can be tied to a core fear. And those core fears could be things like abandonment, judgment, um, you know, fear that we're not going to get something right and then people are going to reject us. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of those, then out of that core fear, we develop these coping mechanisms. You know, for my son, it was judgment. He was so worried people would judge him. He was afraid to try anything in front of people. Um, so he had to really, when he finally was getting therapy help, he had to do exposure therapy where he had to be around situations where people might judge him and learn that he could survive that. <laughs> and that's why exposure, you know, identifying your core fear is important. Um, it's helpful and you, it takes time to do it. So don't, I wouldn't stress out if you can't figure it out right away. Um, it may be something to just think about and you figure it out over time or when you go to therapy. But exposure therapy really helps you by doing more of the very thing that you're scared of to realize that you can survive and find healthy coping mechanisms. So for instance, my son, instead of hiding behind his phone, he does other things to calm himself. He leaves his phone at home if he's going to go to a social event. So he can't use that crutch. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he does a lot of deep breathing beforehand. He will also visualize something in the room and find that as his calming point. And so if he starts getting over anxious, he'll go look at that particular point in the room and it helps bring him back to calm. Wow. Yeah. It's really, there are all kinds of neat tricks you can do. Um, you could even, one thing that somebody shared with me that I use quite a bit is I focus on something that has a lot of detail and I try to just picture all the details. If it's a tree, for instance, you try to focus on each leaf and its color. So focusing on that detail will get you out of your amygdala. 
Hmm. Actually, I was uh, listening to Rachel Melvin. She was uh, an actress on Days of Our Lives. Her name is Chelsea Brady. And yes, I've been watching Days of Our Lives since the 80s. Uh, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> and uh, in her episode this week, uh, you can find it at bitches, um, howbitchesaremadebelieve.com. And uh, she was talking about how she went to this retreat where there was no phones allowed. You're not allowed to speak about work. And it's just a way to get away from real life and how it helped. It was an all-girl vacation, basically. Um, Are there camps like that now for anxiety? Well, you know, it's interesting. I actually am not familiar with camps that are specific, but definitely therapeutic schools. Um, There are all kinds of uh, day programs out um, outpatient day programs, or even, um, you know, there's, that's, what's incredible right now is I just feel like more and more people are recognizing how important it is to talk about our mental health and normalizing that conversation. Mm -hmm. There are some incredible programs out there. And I bet, so I don't know if they're calling them camps, but, um, they're, you know, if you go on our website, you can find several of them. And I'm trying to think of one in particular, you know, they'll, they'll have special events or, you know, certain days or uh, mental health fairs and that kind of thing. Okay. And now about a medication is weed good for this. We were talking about weed earlier on. Um, is weed a good thing to have? I am probably not the best person to ask about that because, um, I'm just going to be giving my personal opinion. So just know that this is my personal opinion. My personal opinion is that, um, For anyone struggling with anxiety, I would really encourage them to find a way to be able to handle their anxiety without using any kind of substance, um, because there are ways that we can handle it without that crutch. And those substances may have other effects that, um, you know, take away from maybe our productivity at work or uh, our being present with our family. And so since there are ways to handle our anxiety that we don't have to, you know, use use a substance that is what I recommend because that's what's going to be sustainable okay I know personally for me I've been starting using oils mm-hmm. and aromatherapy uh scents and they do help a lot I, I can't I my my room my apartment sounds smells so nice all the time <laughs> <laughs> what scent works for you I like the lemon, and I just realized why. I don't know where I was, what I was listening to, but I found out that lemon helps boost the, the um, boost yourself. It's it's it's. I'm sorry, I just lost the word. It helps you um, give you more energy. Wow. And you know the regular other ones. I forgot the names of it now, like uh, lavender and the you know the go tos. Yeah, this is, I, yeah, I love um, lavender and the other one that I use quite a bit. Um, there's even aromatherapy, it's called Calm, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I I have some of those scents that I'll wear. Um, those things really do seem to make a difference. I really, I really believe in that. And um, there's actually that app, Calm. 
Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Apps, you know, Headspace is really great too. Um, there's some really wonderful apps out there. The, even some that some teens are inventing, which I love. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, I can send some people come up to me afterwards and say, I, you know, I was trying to figure out something to help with my own anxiety. And so, uh, I've got an app now. So there are some incredible resources that we can use right now on our phones. And you were asking me about camps. I just quickly Googled and it looks like there are quite a few. There's outdoor teen anxiety therapy camps in the Carolinas, um, and, uh, adventure lore summer camps. Um, so I'm excited to see that there really are some of those options. Now, Tell us how you hooked up with Michael Phelps, because that was a huge cameo that I totally didn't expect. <laughs> I love that you didn't know about that. <laughs> okay, great. That's the way it was meant to be. Uh, well, you know, in making the film, um, I had interviewed Charlie, who's from Michigan, little Charlie, who's 10 mm -hmm. at the time. And really, he, he brought up in the interview about Michael Phelps and how he was his idol, and not just because be a swimmer but the fact that he was so open about his own mental health and hearing about in sports illustrated uh, michael phelps had done this interview and he talked about was very open about his struggles in between um you know winning these medals that when he didn't have the swimming to focus on that he was really struggling emotionally that he had to really face his anxiety and depression um and little charlie was talking about that and i just thought wow you know what it might be good to reach out to Michael Phelps and see if he's game to talk about this. He is Sports Illustrated. Um, and I, I had already been thinking, what well, it'd be great to find somebody who's a public figure mm -hmm. who has anxiety that you would never think normally would. Yes, yes. Um, and it just, you know, Michael Phelps was incredibly generous. He flew out to L.A. and we surprised Charlie. It was a true surprise. We had one take to do that. So what you're seeing is really a surprise. Wow. Um, and I just love the juxtaposition between Charlie and this little Charlie and large Michael Phelps <laughs> sitting next to each other dealing with the same thing, you know, yeah. and the two have stayed in touch. It's really, you know, it was really a wonderful, special meeting. And one thing I love that we didn't get on camera, but um, two things I love that I'll share. One is that uh, Charlie's mom was right there watching the whole thing. And in tears, of course, and afterwards, Michael gave her a hug and he says, you know, I now understand as a parent how hard it must have been for my mom. And it's so true. So much of this journey is between our parents and our kids, um, mm -hmm. how we relate to each other. And, and then the other thing that Michael Phelps shared that I didn't put on film, but I love it, is he shared a tip that he uses to train his mind towards the positive because he had so much self-hatred. Um, and he learned through a therapist that every time he goes through a doorway, walks through a doorway to say a positive affirmation. And you think how many doorways you go through your bathroom, your bedroom, your workplace, your your car. Mm -hmm. After three weeks, you know, of doing this every time you go through a doorway, you're retraining your brain towards the, the positive. You know, neuroplasticity is real. And I guess that's the good thing about social media now where. Uh, before before social media and before you were you know celebrities were these amazing larger than life characters who have no problems at all but now you know like i think of sarah sarah highland from our family mm -hmm. where she's very vocal on on her health conditions and her transplants and you know just yesterday she she did an insta story where she was in er and she was talking about her fashion state uh, statement she has at the hospital 
that's when social media is, I guess it's good mm-hmm. because, you know, you're like, oh, well, Sarah Hyland has gone through the same thing as I have, or Michael Phelps is doing this and he's very vocal on, you know, mental health. Uh, these people I look up to and they don't seem like they should have any problems. This is amazing. And uh, the conversation is already there, right? Yes. I, there are so many positive, wonderful things about social media, you know, and like you just mentioned, the accessibility um, to support, quick support, the ability to see um, others being a little bit, celebrities being more human, um, mm-hmm. people that look up to and really kind of resonating with them more. And it helps us when we see that they're not okay. Sometimes it makes it, their vulnerability is so powerful, right? Because it allows us to feel um see it's okay to have our own um and what we just have to watch is again whether or not we're using that social is that social anxiety i mean that social anxiety (laughs) no pun intended um social media is just inherently more triggering as well so for a college you know for a high school student who's applying to colleges in in the spring in march when everybody's finding out what college they get into i've heard from student after student who shared how much it's increased their anxiety because before you might share it with a friend, but now what college you get into is just, you know, blasted everywhere. So what I read, what I've learned um, after interviewing a lot of people and talking to people about this is let's just remember that we are in control of that social media use. And if that app is bringing us more pain than pleasure, if it's bringing it, triggering us too much, and maybe it's even just for a month or for a week, we are allowed to take it off of our phone and take a break. And is that what you're covering in your new documentary? See my little segue there? <laughs> <laughs> Good shade. Yeah. Like, 100% like came out of angst. Um, you know, we talked to the kids so much about almost every kid we talked to talked about the effects of social media on their lives, the positive and also the negative, and really wanted to look a little bit more deeply into, um, you know, understanding social media and and the effects and how can we use it and yet be mindful of taking care of ourselves too. So the two are very tied. And when is that coming out? Um, it's actually out now. So you can go oh. to lifemovie.com and check it out. Awesome. Okay. And you can also go to angstmovie.com. I'm just on the site. And today you guys are touring somewhere. <laughs> Let me just get to the top of the page. I'm not sure where we are today, but yeah, you can if you go to angstmovie.com and look at find a screening, you can find a screening really easily, or you can book a screening super easily by just click on host a screening, and it's mm-hmm. super easy to bring it to your school or to your work. Um, and uh, yeah, so the more people that can find out about it, the better. And there's a donate button there for IndieFlix. Uh, what's IndieFlix? Well, um, so IndieFlix is uh, Sheila Andreen, who's one of the producers of the film Angst and, La- and uh, the producer and director of Like. Um, she is the CEO of IndieFlix, and IndieFlix uh, streams all kind of all sorts of independent films and movies. And they also have a distribution arm that takes documentaries like Angst and Like directly into schools and corporations. So they, rather than being online. They, ha- they also have, I mean, they're online, but they also have um, an arm for community screenings as well. And the IndieFlix Foundation takes donations to help fund films 
um, that are doing social impact, but also um, screenings for people that cannot afford to bring it to their uh, community. And one example of that is the, the Nimmo family. Um, they lost their son to suicide last year. And um, at his memorial, they gathered donations. And now they are setting off and just launched their, their foundation, uh, their own foundation. And they're showing the film Angst um, in communities to try to help with suicide prevention. Yes. I think I've heard AJ Lee, uh, the former wrestler. Oh, is one of the spokeswomen for that? Oh no, actually, this is a smaller foundation. But tell okay. me about that. Tell me about that. I think it's Namo. Oh, or is it Namo? I'm gonna look it up. Their their name is Nimmo, N I M M O, and their name of their foundation is Z Cares. Okay, let me just do a quick Namo. I sh I really should know about this. A uh, little story. So she did, uh, AJ Lee was a professional wrestler. Yes, I'm also into wrestling. And uh, mm -hmm. she was a professional wrestler. Uh, one of her characters on the show was this kind of crazy girl who would just turn on you all at once when we didn't really know that she was bipolar in real life. And uh, she wrote a book called uh, Crazy is My Superpower. Oh, wow. And yes. And so last year she did this big GoFundMe thing where, you know, you donate so much money and you can get an autographed copy of her book. And I sent away for it and I got a book signed and, uh, you know, she calls us all her crazies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you that for being crazy fun. with me. Um, but that you know how she flipped that word to make it fun, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, well, I'm going to have to check that out. Of course, when you said about wrestling, it made me think of fighting with the family or for the family. Have you seen that film? Yes, I, I saw that uh, in the in the theaters, and yeah, it's, it's really good. It's great. <laughs> yes. A lot of um, secrets told. If you a um, uh, lot of uh, behind the scenes terms, uh, which were kind of like carny wrestling terminology is very carny like. So there's a word called kayfabe. So kayfabe is when you keep air all the secrets to yourself and you don't bring it to the public. So good guys travel with good guys. Bad guys travel with bad guys. They are not friends. They don't talk behind backstage. That's kayfabe. So they were mentioning a lot of that in the movie, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and a conversation she had with uh, the trainer was actually a conversation she had with one of my favorite wrestlers who since passed away, Dusty Rhodes. And it was really cool that she brought that into the into the movie. But oh. I, I I totally recommend that movie. It's really cool, especially oh, if you're a wrestling fan. Tell me the name again. Pardon me. Oh, what's the name of the movie again? Uh oh, the HLE movie. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. the Page movie. Yeah. It's called Wrestling with My Family with The Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the one, the same one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes. Got it. Awesome. So interesting. Well, this is, look, look how we went from anxiety to wrestling. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> that's what Shower of the Soul is all about. A lot of people are getting their anxiety issues out in the ring. <laughs> exactly. There was a wrestler, um, his name is Big Cass. Uh, he must be around seven foot. He has done a lot of things in the ring, champion, blah, 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 bigger than life, had some drug issues, some alcohol issues, 
ends up that he was going through depression and he just released a YouTube video. I think it was like a few months ago where he, where he spoke about his depression and how he had, he was trying to get sober. I guess that didn't work because I just heard two weeks ago, he went through this other altercation Mm -hmm. um, that had to do with alcohol. But, um, but yeah, you know, and I, I come from, you know, the radio background and I always found radio and uh, wrestling stars the same where, you know, when they are, have a career of entertaining, you know, radio people, million people every morning or wrestlers, 30,000, $40,000, 30,000 people a day. And that's all gone. They can't replace that with anything because, you know, you just can't work in a restaurant and try to recreate the feeling you have of entertaining Mm -hmm. 50,000 people, you know, and they go through this withdrawal. And I had this one uh, radio friend who went through a lot of depression because it was like, well, now what's next? This is the only thing I know. And I can't do anything to replace this feeling I have. I need this feeling inside of me because it's more of an addiction now. And what can I do? Right. Right. And, you know, are you asking that just rhetorically? Yeah, but if you have any comments, yeah, sure. Um, So the question is, like, how can you fill that piece that was missing that really helped? Yes. So it, like in this case, how do kids when I as a student, uh, I remember the biggest times were when I left a school and started a new school or s- started my first job and not able to, um, you know, be f- going out with my friends after school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so ask the question. Can you reframe the question for me? I just want to make sure that I'm really being useful. <laughs> oh, like... oh, yeah. oh yeah okay so <laughs> the question. so the, the question was how are we before we hit that point of depression or anxiety how do we find something to replace something else that was huge in our life for seven ten years you know, okay, so the, I'm, this is, I'm so thank you for kind of um, sharing a little bit more info and going a little deeper on it because there's a couple layers that it's making me think of. Like my mind, as you're talking about that, is going crazy with, oh my gosh, I think of all these <laughs> different kids who have had similar ordeals. I think that's the very first thing is if we are feeling like we're having to give up something that was really a huge part in our life, Michael Phelps is a good example of that, right? With mm-hmm. here he's won four, how many, I'm sorry, not four, many, many, many gold medals. Every time he was not focusing on swimming and in the pool, and it was in between the Olympics and he wasn't working on that particular goal, he really found himself in depression because he was faced to look at the things that were really upsetting him. And so I, my thought and recommendation after talking to so many people around this and having experienced it myself, right, when I'm in between things, um, yeah. you know, we're forced more to look at who we are and what drives us. And um, so... You know, I think that's where if we find that ever that that we're feeling really depressed in between those times, that's it's okay to ask for support. It's okay mm-hmm. to ask 
for, you know, whether it be a therapist or talking to a friend more, maybe you're arranging seeing a friend on Mondays, or maybe, honestly, I really recommend coaches. I mean, I think um, having a coach, personal coach who can help you figure out what your intent, you know, it helps set new intentions for new directions in your life to fill that um, goal. I have found having a personal coach has been probably one of the most life-changing things I've ever done um, because they're really helping you focus on your strengths and setting intentions and goals. So, um, you know, you don't have to hire somebody to do that. You can, you can even do that if you're self, pretty self-driven and there's information and um, you can find websites that uh, you, that can support you through that too. Um, a really great coaching, <clears throat> coaching organization that I love because they make it so accessible, even just through your app or through an app is called a plan. It's a dash plan. Okay. If you go to their website and I, oh my goodness, I just think that they are so incredible. Um, because they help people kind of, again, reinvent themselves or, rediscover themselves to then set those intentions and find those new pathways that they may, that will maybe bring them to, you know, their wildest dreams and beyond. So, um, I guess the short answer is don't be afraid if you, it's, it's normal to be feeling down because it's making you look at some other things that you may have been, you know, and look at how that's the, those sports or those things served you, um, mm -hmm. and then find some added support to help you find something new. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and being yeah. the first very, very first guest on Share for the Soul. I am so honored. <laughs> <laughs> and it went so smoothly. I loved it. It was really fun. Oh, my goodness. The time went by fast. And that wraps it up for this week. Shows are up on Wednesday afternoon at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And if you have a friend you're saving a seat for in the studio, just let them know so they can join us then. If you're looking for anything that was mentioned on this episode, check out the website for links and articles. The website is shanefame.com. My social handles for both Instagram and Twitter is at SFTS pod CST. That's SFTS pod CST. If you have any show ideas or comments or just want to send me a love note, my email is hostshane at gmail.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Till next week, peace. Shower for the Soul is written and produced by Shane Fame Alexander.